This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bus stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bus, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OOTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash pspore24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com. Sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter, at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys you know you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you so i I love seeing that stuff definitely hit me up there um and 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 thanks for supporting the show by by going to ootpdevelopments.com Hello and welcome to episode 485 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Wednesday, August 9th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and we've got a solo episode today. I know you're excited for it. We're talking keeper hitters, breakouts specifically. So the keeper value, kind of the keeper profile, if you will. Should you keep them? Should you seek them out? Should you maybe trade them? Hmm, you know, a lot, lots to consider here. So I got a handful of guys. I'm not going to give the number. 
because if this runs long, let's say, let's say I commit to a number, all right? Let's say I've got 20 guys that we're going to talk about, and I talk about each one for an hour. That's a 20-hour podcast. Now, some of you psychopaths would listen to it, which is crazy, okay? Um, but I just I don't know how long it's going to be and uh, peel the curtain back a little bit. I don't have time to go two hours or 90 plus. So I will tell you this. I got a list. I got a list here that is, uh, it runs double digits, all right? So it's at least 10. You know that. And we'll get to as many as we can, okay? Gosh, so needy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, there's like a huge list of, you know, what you would call a breakout hitter. And I kind of identified 10 that I'm really interested in. If I have to lop off a few at the end and kind of get through them quickly, they're probably lower on the keep scale anyway. This is not necessarily a one to 10 in terms of um, how much I'd like to keep them. I kind of put them in an order that I wanted to. I know that's a little bit confusing and not terribly helpful, but let's just, let's just dive into it. Instead of all this preamble garbage, we could be talking about Aaron Judge. Obviously, we have to start with him. Duh. Uh, let's 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 not be silly. One seventy five, three thirty seven, three sixty three. Do you know what that is? I'll give you a second to answer out loud to your phone to your listening device. Yes, you're correct, Tim. I'm gonna assume a Tim answered, and um, you're right. It's his number since the All Star break for Aaron Judge. Terrible, right? They're obviously horrific. We know he's in a slump. We also know that it was obviously the home run derby's fault. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but I here's the thing: what I don't want to do actually is outright dismiss it, because um, while I don't believe that the home run derby inherently messes with a player, wherein you know you go to the home run derby, you are in trouble, just because the wide scale doesn't show any uh, correlation to it messing with the guys doesn't mean individual cases don't have issues. So I won't rule it out with judge that maybe there was something to that. Um, But here's the real issue. The reason that you can find guys who regress and you've heard this a lot because the, 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 the myth itself, the, the kind of legend, if you will, has really gone the other way. A lot of folks out there beating the drum on what I would call the, the proper end of it and identifying how the reason you see, regression after the all-star break and and home run derby is because they were so good to begin with they had nowhere to go but down it's not really anything against them it's 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 kind of a duh situation it's like oh these guys who had giant first halves who were kind of you know out of nowhere um, are, are coming back to earth that's bizarre so I think there's some of that uh, in play for Judge for sure. I mean, he just could not stay at this level. 1161, 1084, and 1167 OPSs in the first three months of the season with 10, 7, and 10 home runs respectively. Even chipped in six stolen bases. I mean, the guy was doing it all. Judge had to come back to earth, and he has. And, you know, he's looking more like the guy that uh, that had me concerned in the Arizona Fall League when I saw him swinging underwater, it looked like. Um, but I think it's a cold streak. I, I don't think it's a situation where I, I say, you know what, this guy is garbage now. And um, because I was off of him early, I'm now correct. I do not feel that way. I really just think it's a, it's a cold streak. I think he'll have one more flourish and probably end the season, I don't know, 
with 47 homers. That gives him 12 the rest of the year. I think his pace is actually 51, so I'm not I'm not even pushing him too far off of his pace. Uh, 1046 OPS still leads baseball, uh, as does his 622 slug. So Aaron Judge still doing a lot of great things. 85 runs, 35 homers, 81 walks, all lead the American League. So a lot of good in this season, even with the slump that he's having. Listen, Giancarlo Stanton went 40th this year. Um, and they, there's a lot of comps between the two, right? And I remember when I was first hearing those comps, I thought they were unfair to both guys. I thought it underrated the greatness of Stanton and put some undue burden on Judge. Well, I was definitely wrong because uh, the, the comps really do, they run pretty true. They're, they're, they're pretty strong comparisons. It's nice that Stanton's having a fantastic year as well. I would take Stanton ahead of Judge next year. Um, first off, they're actually not that far apart when you think about it from age. I think that might surprise some folks. Uh, Stanton's 27. Judge is 25. You know, 25-year-old rookie, too. 25-year-old rookies, first off, nobody nobody is a 25-year-old rookie and does this kind of stuff. But just 25-year-old rookies in general with, with – I, I lowered the bar. I said even a 140 OPS just uh, you know, just since 1980, just kind of looking recent vintage. You found two. One was a fake rookie, a, a fookie, if you will, Jose Abreu. Yes, he's a rookie to the majors. Um, so I'm fine with, with uh, imports, Cuba, Asia, winning – rookie of the year like i'm not this is not a a a beef about that but the idea that jose abreu didn't know what he was doing when he got here you know he's just a just a rookie coming in uh you know i i push back against that with with the with the asian players and the and the cuban players who are professionals in their country and again even though it's not at the same standard as the majors it's different so he's one of them and then randy milligan was another who was a late bloomer and he was actually a little bit better in the follow-up year, but none of it was anywhere near what judge is doing. So the only comparison there is that he was an old rookie and he was 27 and he had a couple other good years. So you just don't see this. Um, I'm not calling for a complete fall off. Like I said, Giancarlo Stanton went 40th this year overall in NFBC leagues. That's the earliest I'm taking judge. So that's what late second round. um, Wait, no early third round. Sweet counting ability middle third round right yeah awesome counting ability 15 team league 40 pick i'm thinking third round now i'm not gonna get him right he's gonna go first and second round in a lot of well it's honestly here's the real truth and this is what makes it kind of a boring discussion or, or at least an incomplete one is these final two months are going to determine a lot about Aaron Judge because it's going to be the lasting memory. And if it's more like the since the All-Star break than it is before the All-Star break, that's going to start to cut into his value. I think even with a garbage two months, let's say August and September are a total of, you know, you add them together and it's like a six, you know, 680 OPS with only homers. It, it, it's mostly bad batting average that keeps it down. Um, and, and then, so the power's still there or something like that. And he still gets to the mid forties with his homers fifth round, I think would be the latest that you'd really see Aaron judge go. Listen, power is, uh, more prevalent this year. You can find it in, in more spots. Still, this is game changing power. This guy is awesome. He's made real adjustments. He'll adjust back to the league. Again, I think he finishes with a flourish more than judge is likely to uh, continue on this path. So 
He won't be on my teams next year, though, because I'm not going to pay the freight. I'm not going to pay the first, second round freight that I think he's going to end up costing. So just not going to be somebody I have. Um, if you have him right now, let, let, let's assume for some of the talk that I'm going to have here about trades that your trade deadline is still open. I know leagues vary. Some have it closed. In fact, I'd be interested in the comments. Let me know. What does your league usually use? Are you guys done trading? Do you extend it beyond the major league deadline? Do you have something that kind of ends in this month? A lot of my leagues have trade deadlines that end in the middle or late August, give you some time after the deadline dust settles and even maybe some of the waiver uh, trades go through to get things in order. And I think I think that's the best way to go. To, to have a deadline that kind of matches the majors to me is unnecessary, frankly. I, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of stupid uh, because it doesn't make any sense. If anything, you would want to have that movement take place and then be able to maneuver around it uh, in fantasy leagues. So anyway, um, if your trading is still open and you have Aaron Judge, I would not trade him right now because outside of that, outside of those rare instances where you're having somebody who's packing it in and they will pay through the roof just to get Aaron Judge. But in a lot of cases, there's, you're going to have those 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 sharks out there trying to get a, a discount from you based on these last few weeks. And I say, you know what? Just ride it out. You didn't pay anything for him this year. He's an automatic keeper in every format, uh, Aaron Judge is. And so I think you just ride it out and, and, and you go with what you got. But uh, for redraft situations, he's just not something I'm going to be drafting super high. Super high relative. Sorry, I, I want to cry. <laughs> Super high relative to where he's going to go. He's going to go first, second round. I'm looking more third, fourth, if I can get him. All right, next up is Andrelton Simmons. He's having a power surge backed by, you know, a big pull and hard contact jumps. He has a career-high 45% pull rate. Uh, so he's, you know, going to the pull field there, and he's really going for power this year. Andrelton Simmons is. He was at 34 35% uh, the last two – or 35 36% the last two years. You know, this is a guy who – Showed a little flurry of power back in 2013 with 17 homers. Angleton Simmons did. But then has just been, I mean, frankly, garbage as a fantasy asset for three straight years, 14, 15, and 16. He totaled 15 homers in those three seasons, playing full years in all of them. Uh, at least 483 plate appearances in all three of the seasons. You know, never hit, uh, well, last year hit 281, so that was a little something, but 244 and 265 in the other two years just was a non-factor. The only thing that you liked is that NL only when he was with the Braves, AL only with the Angels in these three years. You could have him in those in those only leagues as a guy who plays all the time, so the counting was going to be there, and you could just kind of set it and forget it. You knew it wasn't going to be great, but you knew somebody was going to be in there. And then, of course, he did get hurt a little bit last year, so I guess... Even that got cut into a little bit, but this year we're seeing a lot, like kind of, kind of the 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 vintage age twenty seven breakout that used to be a big thing uh, before the aging curve really started to change in baseball. Age twenty seven was a year you wanted to get guys to watch them break through because that was kind of where they get to the peak of their powers. Maybe they had a year or two under their belts. Even even in this, if you take what uh, Angelton Simmons's career has been and, and pushed it back a decade. I'm not even sure he would have been an age 27 breakout because he had four full seasons under his belt of just like blah work. So I'm not even sure that somebody would say, well, now at 27, he's going to break out. Usually it's a guy who had two and a half-ish seasons, showed some flashes, you know, he came up at 24, showed a little something, 25, 26, kind of meandered, you know, through, added little pieces here and then 
showed something that said a 27 breakout was coming. Well, this is kind of out of nowhere. We didn't really see anything that suggested that Angleton Simmons was going to break out. He did adjust his swing. Uh, I saw a profile months ago now where they did some side-by-side. I think it was Mark DeRosa who did it. Broke down and, and showed how he was really trying to emulate Trout's swing a little bit. You never go wrong with something like that. Another big factor, and this is actually going to be something that's a little bit prevalent throughout this entire list, is a big homer to fly ball surge. Uh, from 4% the last two years to 10% this year. 10% is just average. It might even be a, a tick or two below average, but it's a big jump for Angleton Simmons. And you're going to see a lot of guys who have substantial jumps there. And I think a lot of that does speak to the uh, to the ball that we've talked about all year as as being, well, you know, first it was, it's juiced. Then there was an article. It's like, well, no, it's not juiced. Let's go back against that. And then it was like, no, 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 we did, uh, we did our own study. It's juiced. And and so I think that the the juiced ball definitely contributes to that. You're getting more bang for your buck on fly balls, and 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 so you know we're going to see a lot of numbers that that are way up if they continue to use the same ball, same environment. You don't necessarily have to regress it all the way back. As for Simmons, with the with the the approach that he has, if he continues the batted ball approach with the pull, uh, with the pull center oppo. And, and the and the ground ball fly ball line drive, if all that stays, then then in the ten percent homer to fly ball ratio, there, there's no reason that can't stay. A big factor, another big factor in this game, were, were pop ups. That was an issue in previous years where he would really pop the ball up. He got away from that a little bit uh, last year. This year's kind of back ten ten percent infield fly ball rate up from eight percent, but not egregious. Not at the eighteen percent clip it was a couple years ago when it looked like maybe he was going for power a little bit more and he didn't have it in his game. But what I do like Angleton Simmons. It's not going to be gaudy at any one category you're never going to get like in my opinion i don't think you're going to get like 35 steals or a 330 average or 30 homers but you know he's hitting 300 this year with 11 homers 17 stolen bases that's with some missed time i think you can get a pretty darn good season i'm i'm pretty intrigued by by simmons as a keeper because shortstop isn't great it's one of those guys because he came so cheaply this year if if you're talking about a keeper league that does rounds or dollars he's going to be so cheap that i would actually be interested in getting agilton simmons and, and, and kind of keeping him as as a little bit of a centerpiece if you keep say you know seven or more i really like him in that in that six seven or beyond sort of range really kind of a, a, a glue guy for a team so i do like agilton simmons as a keeper all right, next up is Marwin Gonzalez uh, of the Houston Astros. Now, Marwin's a tough one. I, I'm really enjoying his breakout. Um, it's just been it's been really interesting to see. I mean, <laughs> you slot me in that uh, Houston Astros lineup, and I feel like I can put up a 750 OPS. I mean, you just got to be breathing to put up some numbers in that uh, in that offense. Obviously, I would I would put up a one OPS point zero zero one. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know what the math is on that. If I go one for whatever, or maybe a walk, if I just stand there. Um, but yeah, I would put up a .001. Anyway, Marlon Gonzalez, 314, 391, 574, triple slash with 20 homers, chipping in five stolen bases as well. And then one of the best parts about the uh, switch hitting utility man is that he plays a lot of spots for the Astros. And so he's, he came into the season with, let's see here, first base, third base, 
And that's probably it in most leagues. Uh, he did play 19 games in the outfield, 14 at second, and 11 at short. So if you use like a 10-game situation, he had outfield and the entire infield. But this year, he's also gained shortstop with 20 games. And in-game restrictions are usually lower. So the fact that he's played 17 at third and 11 at second uh, gave him those in season. Uh, well, third he already had, but second and short. He might have had in your in your lower eligibility or your lower requirement uh, eligibility league, but otherwise, even in standard leagues, he gained them this year, and he only needs three games at third base to carry that over to next season. So the fact that he has shortstop, though, is, is the game changer. But again, he's a 28-year-old breakout guy who had a 687 OPS in 1,639 plate appearances before this year and a 660 OPS in 20, uh, 2,199 minor league plate appearances. That does not speak well for for this carrying over. I mean, even when you factor in some of the things that are working in his favor, you know that that uh, he spiked his strikeout or excuse me, spiked his walk rate substantially, more than double from four percent each of the last two years to ten percent this year, and even cut off a little bit from his strikeout rate from twenty three percent to twenty and a half this year. Twenty one, let's just call it twenty one. Uh, you know, it's a two two percentage point drop, but there is a four percent swinging strike rate drop from. 12% to 8%. So, um, you know, he has swing. He, he has, he does have better command of the zone. Marvin Gonzalez does. You, you, no matter what you say on that, the fact that, you know, strikeouts are the same with all this power improvement and the walk rates way up, all that works in his favor, but there's not really any stark changes in, uh, in, in the batted ball profile. He started using all fields again. It's not a new thing, but it's something that after the last two years where he was kind of 50, 30, 20 on the pull center oppo, uh, he's now 40, 36, 24 this year, 40% pull, 36 center and 24% oppo. So using kind of all fields a little bit better has certainly helped him. Now he did have he did hit the ball hard each of the last two years. So you can kind of look up and down this profile and say maybe there was some uh, there was some favorability coming his way because, you know, maybe he wasn't getting as much to fall or, or, or getting well, – yeah, I think he was getting enough to fall in terms of the batting average, but maybe he wasn't getting as much power as, as his overall numbers might have deserved for Marwin Gonzalez. He did have 12 homers in 370 plate appearances in 15-13 last year. 518 plate appearances plus 12 stolen bases so he was a decent little player last year in al onlys and and very deep mixers but this year obviously he's been a star across the board i'm skeptical okay uh so i'm, I'm really skeptical here the the another guy that i, I mentioned this is going to be prevalent throughout he's actually doubled his homer to fly ball ratio one of the bigger gains that we're going to see going from 12 percent to 24 percent again some of that's just going to be the ball and so there's going to be some viability to it if the ball continues to be like that you know your fly balls are just going to get rewarded more but what if they change the ball back and then he kind of just goes back to to what he is so 966 ops it's going to be his best year it's gonna be 29 next year the shortstop outfield first base and, and probably third base is is definitely a plus but if i'm if, if i'm in a keeper league and i'm not competing right now i'm trying to trade him I'm trying to sell him off as, as somebody who can help somebody down the stretch, and I get a little bit more solid pieces for next year or even one solid piece. You're not necessarily going to get multiples. But uh, Marlon Gonzalez is somebody I'm dubious on with regards to it continuing 
because uh, you know even if he goes to say high 700s even low 800s with the OPS that's fine and I'll, I'll be happy with it here's here's the here's the separation I'm a lot more willing to draft Marlon Gonzalez than I am trying to keep him because I don't think his draft price is going to go ridiculous it's obviously going to go light years beyond what it was this year because he was an afterthought this year and now um you know coming into this year and the next year we're going to say hey there, there's something here so i would i would draft him in like an early double digit round for the flexibility and all that he might go earlier we'll see it'll be interesting he'll be one of those interesting ones for sure but marwin gonzalez is not somebody you want to kind of build around or go seek out if you particularly if you are a losing team right now and you are rebuilding and you're selling off your big pieces for capable pieces you do not want Mar marlon gonzalez i don't think that's a good investment um i, I would it'd be cool to be wrong because it'd be a fun story because uh, you just don't usually see something like this but i'm not sure we're seeing the next justin turner the next jose bautista daniel Murphy. i throw them all in there because i just don't know that i see enough in here that says wow this is so legit that it has to keep going um I think he can be a solid player. He was a solid player last year from a fantasy standpoint. Again, 13 homers, 12 stolen bases, 50-something you know, runs and RBIs, whatever, in, in 518 plate appearances. I think he'll be a little bit better than that. Push, take, take, here, do this. Take 2015's triple slash, 279, 317, 442. Tweak it a little bit. I say give him a little bit more of that OBP. Because uh, we did see the walk rate shoot up, and I, and I believe in, in some of those gains. So bump that up a bit, um, maybe to 340. So now you're talking like a, a 790 OPS sort of deal with 16 homers, 8 stolen bases, and very good positional flexibility. That's not a bad player. That's a solid fantasy player, and I love, I think positional flexibility is heavily underrated. Um, so that's a guy I want on my team, not somebody I want to build around as a keeper. Be wary of Marlon Gonzalez. Michael Conforto is next. He's obviously somebody that folks are going to be seeking big time as a keeper. He's still inexpensive, um, you know, round dollar. However, however your draft goes, dynasty, th this is not a guy who's expensive right now. So that alone makes him, that alone plus his breakout makes him appealing. Uh, he had the big burst in 56 games in, in 2015, came back to earth last year. Prospect growth is not linear. Do not forget that. Prospect growth is not linear. Just keep repeating it to yourself. And then had a huge surge this year. A lot more punch against lefties. Uh, he had zero homers last year against lefties. He has six already this year. But let's not sleep on a 210-point OPS improvement against right-handers. And uh, Using the middle of the field has been a big deal. He's actually dropped 10 points off of his pole. Uh, to 33% and then gone from 33 to 40% uh, it, up the middle. So he's kind of taken it from the pole and put it up the middle. He's he's an all-fields kind of hitter. This guy is an, a tremendous hitter. I am really impressed with Michael Conforto. I was impressed after the 56-game debut, um, you know, the, the languishing through the 348 plate appearances last year. It was frustrating, but that's the kind of guy you, you got to stay the course with because the talent's there. And you just got to keep repeating that prospect growth is not linear. You have to have patience. It's tough in redrafts. Obviously, you, you kind of cut bait early probably and said Conforto's not doing anything in 16. But, um, you know, this year has been excellent. Another big homer to fly ball spiker. 
but some of these ga- again, some of these gains are just the ball, and so that that's going to be something that maybe again, if we assume the the circumstances don't change, the environment doesn't greatly change, then it's not impossible to see some of it holding. Now he went from twelve percent to twenty six percent. Michael Conforto did. Let's let's bring that down to say eighteen to twenty percent. Um, but if he continues to evolve against lefties as well, or at least keeps the power, I don't even necessarily need an amazing triple slash, but if the power's there, that's going to keep the playing time up and that's going to work. Listen, he's 25 years old. He's not a finished product yet, but he, but he's getting there. He's taking steps, very highly drafted, high pedigree. This is an auto keeper. This is somebody I'm very much interested in, in the long term. I love Michael Conforto. Marcelo Zuna is somebody that I was really high on coming into the year. I thought we started to see the breakout last year, uh, but a, a June wrist injury really curbed it. If you just kind of look at the breakout there, uh, you can kind of see. Th- this one fits. I know, you know, oh, well, that's the narrative. No, that's the truth. 948 OPS and 16 homers before the wrist injury, 605 and 7 homers after. He played through it a bit, did what he could. You know, just because you're hurt, just because you have an injury doesn't mean that you can't play. And that's something that uh, we still have to – get better at, at remembering as fantasy players just being on the field does not mean you're 100 percent uh you might not even be necessarily close to it you can be at 80 percent playing and if you go take somebody's season numbers like a star player and and and, and do 80 percent of them you know i think we throw that around sometimes like 80 oh, percent of this star is better than 100 percent of this middle rounder it's probably not it's probably about even 80 percent of somebody i mean that's a that's a that's a big chunk off so anyway marcelo zuna was was ailing uh that that stemmed the tide on his breakout last year but he's he's back this year and he's absolutely decimating to the pole field that power has really developed 1607 ops and 13 homers in 89 plate appearances to the pole field he was at 1184 with 13 homers last year and 112 plate appearances so he's already matched the homer total in fewer plate appearances and he's just killing it another big homer to fly ball guy plus 10 points to 24 percent uh, the home ballpark is a little bit concerning, but I think his power plays anywhere. I'm a big Marcelo Zuna guy. A uh, little bit older than you might think if, if you're not super familiar with him. He's going to go in his age 27 season next year. Not ancient by any stretch, but this is his third season of at least 23 homers. I think the power is something you can believe in. And, you know, maybe we'll get blessed and he'll get traded off the Marlins uh, onto an actual good team and then really. Uh, step forward and, and maybe start chasing down 100 ribbies or or even 100 runs but i really believe in a lot of what we've seen out of him the 349 babbitt is a career high for marcelo zuna so i could easily see that coming down a bit but he's a 323 career so it's not so far out of bounds that you have to be like well you know this is ripe for major regression and the 304 is a complete figment i don't believe that i think he can be a I think he's kind of a true talent 280 hitter. And then you start thinking about range of outcomes there. You can get up as high as 320 and and, and, and down to 260. So uh, that's the range on Ozuna. He is somebody I would be seeking out. I want him. He's great. I'm a believer. Next up is Jonathan Scope. Now, he's already matched his 25 homers and 82 ribbies from last year in 184 fewer plate appearances. That's really, really impressive. Uh, he's nearly doubled his walk-to-strikeout ratio from 0.15 to 0.27. Um, and, and obviously, 0.27 is still not very good. But when you're starting so low, improving, you can feel inc- – even those incremental improvements can feel big when, when you're down that low. Uh 
and he's really emerged against lefties this year, Scope has, after a reverse platoon throughout his career. He has a 932 OPS and seven homers against lefties this year. He had nine homers total in 403 plate appearances before 2017 against lefties. So he was always a guy, Jonathan Scope was, who could hit righties but didn't really do anything against lefties. Well, he's still hitting righties pretty well. Uh, and devastating lefties this year. He's hitting the ball harder. He's using the middle of the field. There's a lot to like here. This was a guy that, you know, he's had really bad plate discipline as a major leaguer, but he had pretty solid plate discipline as a minor leaguer. So I've always thought maybe it can prove in the majors. He skipped AAA. So Jonathan Scopes, one of these guys that's been learning on the fly, he had a 0.5 walk to strikeout ratio in the minors, which is perfectly fine. Um, I think it was high teens strikeouts and you know, n- not quite double digits with the, I, I was trying to figure out how to say, I was going to say high single digits, I guess that's a stupid phrase, but high single digit walk rates. Um, but you know, d- decent plate control. Uh, and then the majors, it's been really bad. 0. 0.11, 0. 0.11, 0. 0.15. And then this year's 0. 0.27 again is a big jump, even though it's not elite by any stretch, but he doesn't strike out too much. 25% his first two years, but then just 21% these last two years for Jonathan Scope. So I believe in a lot of what we're seeing. I think the power is something that you watch this guy for a series or two, and it's evident. Uh, and it has been pretty much since he came up. You know, this is a guy who's going to be 26 next year and already has uh, four full seasons under his belt. Well, 2015 was only 86 games. He got injured in a takeout slide and ended up playing 321 plate appearances. But the, So th- three-plus full seasons, nearly four full seasons of work um, and, and going into his 20, age 26 season. So, I you know, he's going to end with 30-something homers this year, I believe, and maybe like a 290-something uh, batting average, 100-something ribbies, and 90-something runs. That's, you know, I don't know that he's going to beat that next year, but you don't, when you're keeping a guy, you don't necessarily need them to get better to be worth the keep value. You know, Jonathan Scope was not so expensive this year that you're like, well, I'm, I'm going to justify it. He's got to continue 100% at this level. No, he has some backslide capability, but I think he's a keeper. I think he's someone that you can you can seek out. He's not a frontline guy. Again, using kind of the, the seven to eight keeper idea. Um, he should be in that second half. I don't think he's a frontliner to your team where you're like, well, I got Jonathan scope. I'm, I'm set at second. No one's going to push him off. I think the plate skills, um, and the fact that, you know, he's never been like a major, major batting average guys in two sixty three career three Oh two this year. You're looking at really the power production is, is the key. And being in the heart of a, a quality lineup uh, gives that power some some validity with the uh, runs scored and RBI totals. But I don't think he's an immovable force. I do think Scope is somebody that you want, though. If you're making trades, you want to go ahead and get him. Uh, next up is Paul DeYoung for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, he's a fourth-round college product from the 2015 draft. And I keep waiting for the bottom to fall out. So, of course because I'm waiting for that bottom to fall out. He's nine for his last 24, 375 batting average. Now, DeYoung hit through the minors. He had 843 OPS and 1,000 uh, 1,034 plate appearances. He had a 909 in 190 plate appearances at AAA this year. But he has a 31% strikeout rate and a 3% walk rate in the majors. That just cannot sustain a 285, 308, 553 line. Now, he's absolutely clubbing the ball. There was a statistic on... Uh, MLB Network a couple weeks ago, or not even, maybe a week week to two ago. So I guess that would be a couple weeks. So maybe let's say two weeks ago on MLB Network 
when they were playing a Cardinals game that had him as just an obscene amount of his balls were being hit 95 plus. Um, I don't remember the stat cause I'm really good at, at, at doing my job and giving you guys useful information. I don't remember the, you know, I took a picture of it. I wonder if I could find it on my phone. I'm not going to look for it. It was saying that Paul DeYoung was really good at hitting the ball hard. And I said, that's how you outrun a 31 to three, uh, 31% strikeout rate to 3% walk rate. That's how you outrun it by just clubbing your way past it. That will come down though like it just it, it, it can't last forever so here's what i did i looked since 2013 and there are 49 seasons of a 0.15 or worse walk to strikeout rate now the young's at 0.11 so i boosted it up a little bit to get a thicker sample there are four, 49 seasons of a 0.15 of in at least 230 plate appearances. And DeYoung has 237. That's why I lowered it so much. So there's still only 49 of those seasons. Only 10 of those 49 had a 30% strikeout rate. And DeYoung's 861 OPS is easily the highest of that group. Matt Davidson has a 784 OPS and he's second. And, the, and he's also doing it this year. So the environment of this year is allowing these guys to be successful with the gaudy strikeout rate um but the ball being juiced and and the power infusion is certainly helping them kind of outrun it but you look up and down the rest of it and and it was a lot of 600s um even guys with some power but a lot of 600s but you know what i saw a comp in there that i was like you know okay this could work it's not quite the same but i see it and guess who guess whose name i saw in there you're damn right. It was Jonathan Scope. And that's why I put those two side by side. Now, uh, Scope's 2014 and 15 seasons both fit the criteria. They both had a 0.11 uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio with at least 25% strikeout rate. So that doesn't perfectly fit DeYoung, who has a 0.11 with a 30% strikeout rate, but it's close enough. And uh, Scope had a 598 OPS in 2014, a 788 in 2015. You notice both obviously are below 800, though. And, you know, so it takes a lot of work to even be worthwhile at 788. He had to kind of scope had to be pretty spectacular to do that. That was one of the higher marks um, of the entire list. Remember, I said earlier that there were only 10 guys who had a 30 plus percent strikeout rate with a 0.11 walk to strikeout ratio. And DeYoung's 861 OPS this year was easily the highest. And so I think if he doesn't fix some things, you have to start putting him in the 700s at the highest, the high end of things, you know, look no further than, than his teammate, Randall Grichek to kind of show the volatility of somebody who has great power, but doesn't walk and strikes out a ton. And Grichek is double the walk to strikeout ratio of his boy, DeYoung. Uh, Grichek is a flat 0.20 each of the last three years. No wavering, by the way. I love that symmetry there. 0.20 each of the last three years on the dot. And again, we're talking DeYoung is at 0.11 y'all. I cannot stress enough how terrible that is. And here are the uh, the OPS totals of Grichuk, 877, 769, 728. So, you know, with, with the young, the one thing I do like is that he is D. Young. He's 23 years old. I'm going to go. Never mind. I'm leaving. I, I can't believe I said that he's D. Young when referencing his age. I'm going to go punch myself. I'll BRB never. <sighs> That was disappointing. Okay, but he is okay. So he's twenty three years old. That that helps middle infielder. There are some positive factors, but 
you know, we saw a guy like Aledmus Diaz have a breakout season for them last year at, at, at shortstop. And he had a lot more believable skills. And he completely flopped this year. You know, and he's, he's in AAA right now lingering down there. And, and there were things in his profile where you're like, okay, I, I can believe this. Point sixty eight walk to strikeout ratio, great contact, uh, showed some punch, you know, and nothing was completely out of bounds where you're like, well, 312 BABIP, that's not gaudy, so maybe you can hit 300. 9% walk rate, that's great. Well, then this year, Aledmus uh, Diaz goes 14% strikeout rate, so only one percentage point up, but a 5% walk rate. The Everything craters, he's 260, 293, 396. And that was with quality plate skills. So I worry about DeYoung. I'd be selling, selling, selling as much as I could um, in any and all league formats. Sell Paul DeYoung. Your best case scenario is the worst end of of Jonathan Scope. Uh, or not the worst end because he had that 788. But, but like the, the pre-2017 Jonathan Scope is your peak uh, with Paul DeYoung. Right, Chris Taylor is a really interesting one. Now, I remember Chris Taylor when it was Chris Taylor, Nick Franklin, and, and Brad Miller coming up. Nick Franklin was kind of off to the side a little bit. It was Miller versus Taylor. Which one of these guys is going to come up to be the keystone combo with Nick Franklin, who's obviously a stud and already in the midst of his ninth all-star season because he's just so good. That's that's what I read on the minor league reports. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I fell for Franklin. I was pretty in. But I also picked Miller in that battle. You know, you kind of had your camp. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Taylor guy. I'm a Miller guy. I was, I was on the Miller side. So, you know, I was aware of Taylor and that he was something of a notable prospect, but nothing crazy. So I, I kind of moved on. Uh, so I went back and looked at some history and, and wanted to see kind of where was he on prospect lists. I know he wasn't a top 100 guy, but what was, what was being said of Chris Taylor on the Seattle lists? So I went back to Baseball Prospectus to look at their 2013 list, or uh, excuse me, 2014 list. And Jason Parks uh, was writing him up then. And he had, the, he had Chris Taylor seventh. For Seattle that year. So that's a pretty good rating. Uh, some of the names on that list. DJ uh, Taiwan Walker. DJ Peterson who was just released. James Paxton. Victor Sanchez. I believe I believe he tragically passed away. I think Victor Sanchez. I think that's what happened. Edwin Diaz. Luis Gohara. Chris Taylor. Tyler Pike. Tyler Marlette. And Gabriel, Gabby Guerrero. So Taylor fin- you know, slotted in seventh. And had some pretty nice things said of him in that, uh, in that write-up there. He got a, a, so they do the single digit, you know, 60 grade, six grade. That's the same thing. Baseball perspective just does the the single number, six run, five plus glove. So he's saying like a 55 glove, uh, 50 arm, 50 hit. All in all, a solid player, polished college player uh, who they liked. Overall future potential, he said a, uh, a 50, a major league regular. Uh, with the realistic low is more realistic role is more of a low fifty, a second division player. So maybe like a a great player on Oakland or something. Well, obviously he's he's this year he's been the top end of his scale, a major league regular on a first division regular, uh, playing around all over. And and the risk factor was low because he was a polished product, and he had great speed and and defense that they really liked, and and that's been playing out. So here's the thing, Chris Taylor. I understand why he was off the radar completely, right? He hadn't done anything in the majors to, to merit it. And you can't just keep everybody on a stash list or, or front of mind. Guys are going to fall off. He was 26 years old. He hadn't done, you, you, you kind of trust major league to find the good players. So you're like, well, he's 26. No one saw fit to give him a lot of playing time to this point. What, what good is he? Let, I don't really need to know about Chris Taylor. I think that that's what people were kind of thinking. 
but you know, it was 318 plate appearances before 2017, and it was a spread out 318 plate appearances over three years. That's a nothing sample cut into nothing, more nothinger chunks. I'm making up words now on purpose. I'm, I, I know nothinger is not a word. And you also wouldn't put the more and the ER word in the same place. I'm trying to be funny. It's not working. Moving on. He was terrible, though. But in the minor leagues, 314, 400, 458 in 1972 plate appearances for uh, Chris Taylor, including 1135 of those at AAA. So he put up a lot of numbers in the minors. Maybe we should have been a little bit more in tune with, with what he had uh, once he started getting some playing time because the speed and defense were always, are always there. And this environment no doubt aids his power surge as well. He's got 15 homers in 372 plate appearances, but 13 for 16 on the bases, 9% walk rate, 27% strikeout rate's a bit high, but it's cut off a little bit by the 9% walk rate. The fact that he has an idea up there, I can deal with some of the swing and miss if you've got other things going on. I'll tell you what, man, he's going to be 27 next year. So this is late bloomer style. I believe this one more in the vein of his teammate, Justin Turner or, or Daniel Murphy or, or whomever. Again, it might be lazy to always just say anybody 26 or older and start comparing them to those guys. I want to be careful of falling into that trap and being lazy on it. But I do think that there is some of that vibe there where it says a former prospect um, of some note who's who stuck around and and got a got a real chance with a great team and is breaking out. And I think there's some some real viability to it. I don't think he's necessary. Let me rewind. He's not this good. I'm not even going to couch it with not necessarily. He's not a 922 OPS player. I don't believe that. I would be really surprised. He has a 407 BABIP. That is absolute bananas. But I do believe he's a 275 average and a 2020 sort of guy with positional flexibility. And I just told you how much I like Marlon Gonzalez's. Uh, positional flexibility, but I'm also getting 20 stolen bases out of uh, plus a younger player on just as great of a team with Chris Taylor. So I'm more interested in Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor is somebody I'm seeking out if I'm, if I'm looking toward the next year. Um, I, 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 I want in here. Now he's only got left field and second base locked up for next year, or outfield and second base locked up for next year um, with an outside shot at third base. Although that would probably require some sort of injury, which I don't want to happen because Justin Turner's season has been awesome. And same with shortstop four games there, eight games at third. So it's going to be second and outfield, but that's fine. I'll put him at second base. I like getting the outfield uh, flexibility as well. You give me an 800 something low 800s OPS with a 275 average in 2020 from a 27 year old. I'll take it. And if there is a little bit more juice there than I'm that I'm letting on, and and he can be a, you know a mid to upper 800s, well then I got something really special. But I think the low end uh, is like a um, seven. 80 OPS again with piling up homers and stolen bases, stolen bases, and then runs and RBIs as well, depending on where he bats with, with, with the, with the Dodgers. But I, I buy Chris Taylor to a, a pretty substantial degree. And so I would be interested in getting him. By the way, I also took a look at, at Mark Hewitt's 2014 list that he did for us here at Fangraphs and he gave him a 55 future, or excuse me, a 50 future grade as well. So he got solid grades. And so the prospectors saw, saw something there and it just took a little while to, to, to come through. Next up is catcher JT Real Muto for the Miami Marlins. Now, StatCast has done a lot of work for this guy in terms of highlighting his athleticism and speed. I mean, this guy charts on their sprint speed um, as, as a beast, not just 
for quote unquote for a catcher. Like it doesn't need the disclaimer. You can just say JT Romuto is fast. Full stop. Uh, he ranks like I don't know, eyeballing it, I would say like 30th on the list of sprint speed. And the guys he's around, Andrew McCutcheon, Brett Gardner, Tim Anderson, Tommy Pham, the aforementioned Chris Taylor. Uh, You know, he's got, let's see, 28.6 feet per second. The top end is is 30, 29s, you know, so he's not that far off. So I think that's been a big factor in um, understanding kind of the athleticism and capability that somebody like JT Romuto has. Unfortunately, we haven't seen the stolen bases that we saw last year. And so he's not putting that speed to use in that end uh, with he had 12 stolen bases last year. He's only got five this year. So you'd really have to rally to match last year's total, but 13 homers already uh, in 392 plate appearances after 11 in 545 last year. Uh, meanwhile, his runs and RBI totals are going to blow, blow the uh, last year's numbers out, out of the water and his 299 average is right in line with the 303 last year. So he's been a fantastic catcher. Catcher's been a wasteland. It wouldn't take much to, to be a quality catcher, but the fact that he's been so good puts him fourth now, um, and he has a chance to move into third with, with Sal Perez missing time. So it's looking like Posey, Contreras, Real Muto is going to be how the top three finishes. Listen, I buy what he does, which is give you some punch, good batting average, and some speed uh, from a catcher. And that is valuable. And he's going to have dollar values that, based on how they, whatever benefit they give to catchers, it's going to have, they're going to be some gaudy dollar totals that you're going to see for what he's done this year for Real Muto. That said, I'm dubious about trying to keep him. Now, he did commit to some pull. Uh, tendencies to improve that power from 47 uh, from 41% to 47% on his pull rate and you know he holds his own against righties and smashes lefties but you know he's a 26 year old uh, going into age 27 season next year the volatility of catcher is just what worries me because they just put themselves in such danger back there and while it would be great to have a lockdown catcher one that you feel really happy about I just don't know that I want to invest the resources necessary to try to get JT Ramuto, even necessarily in the draft, because I could see him getting overdrafted. I really like this guy, I do, but this is one of those where you have to divorce your your like of a player uh, from you know from the draft value and, and be smart about it and say, listen, you can really like the player and the skills, but the price is just too high, and that's what I think we're going to see with Real Muto. So I'd be careful on him. Um, in, in redraft or in, you know at the draft table next year, but also as a keeper if you have to go out and get him because you're going to have to be paying for him and there's going to be a tax based on what he's done this year. Now, if you drafted him uh, or, or auctioned him this year and he's almost certainly at a fair price, obviously he's a no-doubt keeper for you. I get that. I'm talking about anybody else that's acquiring him, be careful with JT Ruito. I like him, but catchers, I just try to stay out of that field. I, I love what Wilson Contreras is doing too, and I'm trying to hold myself back from going out and getting him in a league uh, and then the only league where I'm, I'm uh, on the outside looking, I'm competing in one and I'm, I'm on the outside looking in and another, and I'm trying to bite my tongue and giving away a bunch of stuff to, to get Contreras because it's fun to watch and it's great, but oh, catchers, they're just frustrating. Uh, there aren't very many Buster Posies out there. In fact, there's really only one. All right. We made it through the 10. Uh, so I'm happy. Our 10th guy is Tommy Pham. This is another one. This is even way, way higher on this scale than the real Muto is Pham of a guy I love uh, that I that I really enjoy watching and, and believe in his skills, but I will not 
be going out trying to buy him for my keeper leagues. I fully buy in him being a fantasy asset the rest of this year. And if you can get him in that capacity and you're competing uh, and you're looking for a boost that way, by all means, jump jump on board there. Uh, you know, he'll probably come back down to earth a bit from where he's been, of course, but he's going to be a productive power speed combo with solid batting average and, and decent runs RBIs as part of the, uh, you know, capable Cardinals team. So that I, I dig. He cut his walk, or excuse me, cut his strikeout rate from 40% last year to 25% this year. Uh, the 40% was a bit of an anomaly. He had a 24% mark in, in 2015, did Tommy Pham. And he's always been a walker, straight up 11% each of the last three years. So that's fantastic. We haven't seen major changes in his batted ball profile. Uh, he's always smacked the ball. Uh, he is pulling it a bit more this year from 32% to 37%. But he's actually putting it on the ground a little bit more too, from 46% to 51%. So, uh, you know, all, all, all told, I think the, the biggest gains are the fact that his eyes actually work now. And, you know, it's not a full-on fix, though. A degenerative eye condition is part of why he's a 29-year-old breakout, along with other nagging injuries. And, and so they've got it kind of fixed with, with some contacts that are helping his eyes, but I still think I – don't, I don't think that it's cured. You know, I don't think he's done having his eyes get worse, and so I do worry about that. Plus, it's going to be 30 next year. So, like, it's a great story, and I really hope that he has, you know, a, a, a three-year burst of being a really good player. But I think you have to kind of let it run its course this year and then reassess at the draft table next year. I just can't see paying top dollar for Tommy Pham um, in a trade as, as a building block or anything like that. Now, again, for all of these, in fact, yeah, let me look up and down the list. All of these, except for maybe Ozuna, who, who did cost something real at the draft, he, he, all of the other ones didn't cost you anything at the draft. A lot of them were free agent pickups. So obviously, if you already have them, they're easy keepers. But I'm also talking to those of you that are out making trades, trying to improve your keeper stock. And that's why I'm saying some of these guys you just can't go out and get. And FAM is chief among them. A really lot to like, but you got to be honest about the future. And betting on a 30-year-old is just not a great way to win. So those are 10 keepers I want to look at, 10 breakout hitters as keepers. I'll kind of review them again with with a quick last thought. Aaron Judge, not going to be on any of my teams next year. I'm drafting him more as a a third, fourth rounder. He'll probably go first, second round. Um, So uh, don't go out and... Well, in terms of going out and trying to trade for him right now, if the discount's available, sure. But I think most people are going to say, no, 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 you're still paying full freight. Don't try to, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes because of the all-star break stuff. Andrelton Simmons, not spectacular, but not expensive either. I, I, I can see buying him, getting sit, shortstop situated, and not having to worry about that position. I do like Andrelton Simmons. I'm pretty pro on him. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez is going to be 29 years old next year. I love the positional flexibility, but I'm cautious about really going out and uh, buying him as a keeper. I'll be careful there uh, and at the draft table if the price goes too high. Michael Conforto and Marcelo Zuna, I'm all in on. Love both of them. Conforto is just a stud hitter. Really believe in Ozuna's power. Big fans of both. Jonathan Scope, a, a second level keeper. Again, if you're talking like an, a seven to eight keeper league, uh, you guys keep that many. He's in that second group, uh, uh, the last three or four guys. Um, and so expendable, right? And, and there's a situation where you might have 
10 viable guys and he just misses the cut scope does so not a huge keep uh but but certainly on that on that fence paul de young a worse he's the worst end of 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 jonathan scope be careful danger will robinson sell sell abort get out this is coming crashing down at some point with a 31 percent strikeout rate and a three percent walk rate chris taylor uh, probably I'm on, it's like the high end of Marlon Gonzalez. Let's call it that. Cause he has the flexibility. He's a little bit younger, had a little bit more prospect pedigree. So let's call it the high end of Marlon Gonzalez. So I would be a little bit more interested in maybe buying it for a keeper situation. And I'll certainly be interested in, in grabbing him at the, uh, at the draft table next year, JT real Muto, just by virtue of being a catcher and, and, and the risk that they carry has me skeptical on him. So I'm not, I'm not really interested in going out and buying him as a keeper. If I already have him, yes, you're sticking on the team. That's great. I'm psyched. But in terms of uh, you know having my pick of the litter and trying to position myself for the next year, I would not be going to get uh, JT Ramuto. And Tommy Pham, even more so. Just a 29-year-old with degenerative eyes and other injuries. Going to be 30 next year. Love the skills this year. Think he can carry you to the finish line nicely with a little power-speed combo. But uh, let it end this year. Just just have your summer romance with Tommy Pham and then move on. So there it is. There's 10, 10 keepers that I'm looking at for uh, among hitters. I also did a piece on, on the site uh, for pitchers, potential keeper pitchers, some young guys. I, I kind of spanned the uh, league depth there, some guys that you would keep in shallow leagues versus some guys you would keep in, in much deeper leagues. So go ahead and check that out. And I'm not sure what Eno and I are going to talk about tomorrow, but, but we might stay on the kind of keeper train uh, and maybe just make it a total, total keeper week. But anyway, thank you for listening, and uh, well, we'll be back tomorrow.